All right, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mel. Um, and this uh, season, we're looking at a series called Turning Points. So as Holly alluded to, we're looking at different characters of the Bible, um, and the elders and the pastors are talking about that character and how that relates to um, them. So I'm talking about Elijah today. Yep, there we go. Um, now, this looks like a very uh, rebellious kind of crowd, so I'm going to ask you guys a question. Hands up those of you who, as kids, decided, I'm going to run away from home. Hands up if you thought that when you were a kid. Oh, yeah, there's a few rebels. All right, great. Um, and hands up those of you that got away from your house more than about two streets. Oh, we do have some rebels. Excellent. Okay, good. Well, I remember when I was in, uh, living in Seymour and... I can't even remember why, but I, I think a lot of kids used to do it at the time, and I thought, that's it, I'm going to run away from home. And I remember getting to the end of the driveway, looking down the street and going, hmm, I don't think I've been down the street without mum or dad before past the neighbours. So I thought, well, what's better than running away from home is making people think you've run away from home. So I went down the back and I hid behind, you know, those old grey cinder block incinerators and um, sat there for a little while, I don't know how long, Mum and Dad probably didn't even know that I was gone, or gone. And, um, but what happens when you're out in the backyard, and many a times I've had a fight with my brother or my parents or whatever, and I've gone and sat in the backyard, and we've always had a dog. And so your dog comes up next to you, if you've had this experience, and kind of looks at you like, what are we, what are we doing here? What are you doing? And um, they just sit beside you. When they realise you're not going to move or you're not going to do anything, they might run off and grab their slaggy ball and come and drop it in your lap to throw or they might pour at you for a pat. But eventually they just sit next to you and they just kind of look at you and think, what's going on? And the best thing about a dog is there's no judgement. The dog doesn't go, why are you cracking a tanty? Why are you sitting here? Aren't you being a bit of an idiot? The dog just sits next to you and just is with you and is your companion. And we're going to look at Elijah today when he has one of these running away moments and how God is so gracious and so compassionate to him in the way that he treats him. So I'd love you to just pray with me before I get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, I really would love you to take the words that I've prepared and speak them into people's hearts. Lord, I acknowledge that nothing I have to say is any good, but what you have to say is what we need. And I really pray that your spirit would speak to people now as we look into your word. Amen. All right, so if you know anything about Elijah, and I'm sure you do because he's quite famous in the Bible, he's uh, a very famous figure, he's a prophet, but his main story in the Bible is actually only told in about four chapters, which I was quite surprised about. Um, now, in this turning point, we're kind of, you know, the idea is that we... Um, identify with a character, but I do not identify with Elijah at all. He's extremely bold, he's extremely confident, um, he's confrontational, which is everything I'm not, and he is also uh, very decisive, and I'm such a second guesser. But in Elijah's worst point in his life, I actually can really identify with him and with the, the thought process that he has. Um, so Elijah lived around 870 BC, in the time when Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah, and he lived in the northern. Um, and it was under the rule of Ahab and Jezebel. Who's heard of Jezebel? Yeah, not a great lady. Um, so she was a priestess of Baal, and she promoted the worship of Baal. 
And she spent a lot of her time trying to kill Elijah and the prophets of God because her prophets of Baal had said that she would be successful and famous and Elijah was saying, no, you won't. God is, is king and he will rule. And so she spent most of her time hunting him down. Um, and today's turning point is a bit unusual because normally you have, oh, everything's going bad, God intervenes and then everything goes good. But this is actually a flipped situation where everything is going really well and then stuff goes really bad, and that's when God comes and intervenes with Elijah. So let's have a bit of a chat about the uh, bad stuff. So I'm just going to quickly rip through this because you guys probably all know it. So Elijah uh, was in the middle of a three-year drought. He's been hiding in the wilderness away from Jezebel, who I said is trying to kill him. Um, and God tells him, go and tell Ahab the king that there's, I'm going to break this three-year drought. We're in the third year of drought and it's going to rain. So Elijah goes to Ahab and they have a bit of a slanging match. And um, Elijah goes, that's it. Challenge is on. We're going to have a contest on the top of Mount Carmel, get all the Israelites up there. We're going to build two altars um, and we're going to cut up a cow or a bull and we're going to put them on each altar. And then Baal's prophets, of which there were 450, and 450 of the prophets of Asherah are all going to try and ignite this altar. And it'll be just me and God on the other side, and I will try and ignite the, ignite the altar. Or God will. Um, anyway, so you know the story. The prophets of Baal, they're all carrying on from morning to basically tea time. They're cutting themselves. They're really trying to get Baal's attention. And Elijah, and this is where I'm not like Elijah, even starts mocking them and says, oh, where's your God? Is he asleep? Maybe he's on the toilet. What's going on? And so he um, is so confident and bold. And, of course, the prophets of Baal come to no success. And then Elijah steps up. And he says, let's dig a trench around the altar and let's start pouring water on top of it. So you've seen the picture here. He commands people to pour the water on top of the altar till it's soaked and the trench is full of water. And then he prays this beautiful prayer and says, God, I want the people to know that you are God and that I am your prophet. And God sends down the biggest fireball and lights the whole thing up. And if you've read the kids' story, that's where you stop because after that, he rounds up all the prophets of Baal, takes them down to the uh, Valley of Kishon and kills them all. Um, so I guess we don't cover that in Blast, Dan, probably not. Um, anyway, and so then he gets, goes to um, Ahab and goes, better get a snack because the drought's about to come. He goes up onto the mountain and he prays for the drought to be broken. And seven times he sends his servant to go and check if there's a rain cloud. Finally, the servant comes back and goes, oh, there's a tiny cloud, the hand of a si uh, size of a man's fist. And so he says, right, tell Ahab to get in his chariot and get back to Jezreel because the rainstorm's coming. And then Elijah, this is my favourite part of the story, grabs his uh, cloak, hitches it up, and he runs all the way back to Jezreel, and he even beats Ahab in his chariot. Now, that's about 24 k's. I would love to be able to run to beat a chariot for 24 k's. Um, so this is such a peak time in Elijah's life. He's got fire burning up and showing all the people of God's mighty power. Um, he's breaking droughts. He's doing superpower running. He's getting rid of all the, the prophets. But then um, Jezebel hears what's going on. And at the start of chapter 9, she says, um, 
I'm going to find Elijah, and you tell Elijah when I find him, I'm going to do exactly what he did to my prophets. Now, you would think Elijah would go, whatever, I've just done all this crazy, amazing stuff with God, I don't care. But instead, uh, 1 Kings 19, 3-5 tells us, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. and just I'll give you 30 seconds to say, why do you reckon Elijah reacts like this? After all that he's just been through, why does he completely drop his bundle? Have a quick chat to the person next to you. Alrighty, audience participation time. What do people think? Why does he lose the plot? Anyone? Burnout? Yep. He'd had enough. Anyone else? He's angry. Yes. Safety. He's worried. Oh, Satan. Yes. Yes. Anything else? Oh, fear the scorn of a woman, Dennis. Wise man over there knows what's going on. Um, All right, well, let's have a read of what, um, what 1 Kings tells us. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some baked bread on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came to him again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. The journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He loves a good long travel, Elijah. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have zealously served the Lord Almighty. Sound familiar? But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel into the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. 
Then anoint Jehu to be grandson of uh, Nimshi to be king of Israel. And then anoint Elijah, son of Seraphat, from the town of Abel Maloah, to replace you as my prophet. And anyone who escapes from Israel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Okay, so I've picked out three reasons. Whoop, hang on. That's the wrong one. I'll go back that way. All right, that Elijah was um, lost the plot, basically. One, he was afraid, and someone said that. Two, he was exhausted. Someone said that too. Three, he felt alone. And four, he felt disappointed with God. Okay, so he was afraid. In verse 2, it tells us that he fled for his life. And we've said before that he was being hunted by Jezebel and he was constantly in danger because of the work he was doing for God. He knew Jezebel was a very relentless, very powerful, ambitious woman. And so he was genuinely afraid. He was looking at her and what she could do to him rather than the God who could protect him. Secondly, he was exhausted. So as we've said, he's been on the run, he's been hiding in caves, he's been um, you know, pushed from pillar to post trying to avoid this woman. And also he's just done this incredible kind of you know, thing on the mountaintop and he's exhausted. I imagine many of us are feeling exhausted, particularly in ministry. At times it's been very tough over the last three years. Ministries look very different. Family lives look very different. I have never been so exhausted as when I was homeschooling and teaching online. Um, and some of us might have family situations which are really exhausting. We might have difficult people at work or at home or in our lives that make life really exhausting. We're trying to be God's person to, that pe- to those people, but it's really exhausting. And I think sometimes ministry can get really exhausting, especially if you've done it for many, many years or you feel like you're putting in a lot, but really you're not getting a lot back. It can be very exhausting. He felt alone. Now, when we are feeling this place that Elijah feels in, we tend to catastrophize or exaggerate. And he says, I am the only one left. But we can see here in verse 18, God says, "Ah, actually, there's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Um, but you can feel that really isolated and alone. This year at my work, I'm a teacher in a government school. I've never felt so alone as a Christian. Um, There's such an anti-Christian kind of sentiment within my workplace, and I will sit at my desk and listen to other people bag Christian students, Christian parents, and um, as soon as you say you're a Christian, I feel like you think, well, you're bigoted, you're judgmental, um, you are awful to minorities, and you just feel that sense of being alone in a workplace. Um, And I'm sure many of you might feel the same, even in your families or your workplaces or places where you mix with other people, you can feel really alone. And lastly, he felt really disappointed with God. He had been on the mountain, he had done this, um, God had done this amazing work and had really shown his power and his might to the people, but nothing had changed. And he felt really disappointed. Why was God not working? Why had he not um, been protecting Elijah? Why was God not living up to the image that Elijah had of him? And here is where I totally relate to Elijah. When I share my faith with people, why don't they respond? Um, What is God doing in the world? 
why, when I'm involved in a ministry, sometimes do we see no fruit? Why is it so hard to see God working in the world around me? A, f- a few years ago, I remember reading through Acts and all the miracles and the work that God does in all of that. And I remember thinking, what is going on? Why is none of that happening here in our world today? Perhaps like me, Elijah has sometimes a very simplified version of God. We think we know how God should react in a certain situation. We think we can understand how God should work, and then he doesn't. Um, Or perhaps like me, Elijah has the tendency to focus on the circumstances, what's not happening, what other people are not doing that they should be doing. Um, And instead of focusing on God and who he is, we're focusing on what's happening around us. Do you need right now to look at your God, not at the circumstances that are around you? Are you feeling alone? Are you feeling afraid? Are you feeling tired or discouraged? In these situations, it's really easy to give up, to get despondent. You can get angry and say, this church is no good, this program's no good, we need to find a better solution. Um, But in this moment on Mount on this mountain of Sinai, God comes to Elijah and shows him who he is. Not what's going on around, but who he is. Um, So in this passage, we see how God deals with Elijah in three ways. God gives him food and rest, he gives him counselling, and he gives him a mission. Okay, so verse 6 and 7, God makes food for him and gives him time to rest. He has two big sleeps. Now, who doesn't love a big sleep? And sometimes that's what we need God is never surprised by our human limitations. He knows how we are made. He knows that we get weary. He knows that we get discouraged. Um, And this is a constant lesson to me, to stop and to allow God to restore me. I do not like being still. I don't even like going to the movies. It's just a waste of time sitting there for three hours doing nothing. Um, And I have to be on the go and doing things. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I find my significance in volunteering and in helping and in doing things. And God has to always teach me, you are not what you do, you are my child. And you are significant because of what you are in me. Um, And honestly, it's a form of pride because sometimes I feel like, if I don't jump in and help out, how is God going to get this done? which is completely ridiculous when he's the God who made the whole of creation. And yet sometimes I feel like I need to be the one that does things. But God says to me, you need to stop and you need to allow me to work and you need to rest in me. As I was growing up, and some of you might be familiar with this, there was a hymn that we used to sing, and I cannot remember the other verses, but I remember this one. And it says, drop thy still dews of quietness till all our strivings cease. And that striving is really important for me. Take from our souls the strain and stress and let our ordered lives confess the beauty of thy peace. And that really speaks to me of just resting in God and acknowledging him and who he is. Okay, so God gives Elijah rest and he gives him counselling. All right, how does God appear to Elijah. Can anyone remember? Yell it out. Can't hear it. A whisper, but before that, what are the three things that happen? Wind, a windstorm, yes. What else? Earthquake and fire. Thank you, guys. Fire, yes, exactly. 
Now, these are all traditionally symbols of judgment and destruction. So you've done the wrong thing, Kapawi. God gets you with those things. But God is not in any of those. As we've said, God chooses to speak to Elijah through a quiet whisper. And it's, the actual translation is quiet breath. So often we think God's got to be in the earthquake and the fire and the thunder, you know, the fiery preaching or the loud, you know, worship and praise. But most often God speaks to us in the quietness of a lowered heart. Most often God speaks to us in the quietness of a lowered heart. God calls to Elijah to listen to him personally and to know him. My absolute favourite verse in all of this is the two times that God says, comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God's not literally saying, uh, what are you doing here? He knows why Elijah's there. He knows what's going on. But he lovingly says to Elijah, mate, what's happening? What is going on here? And he gives Elijah the opportunity to vent, and he does it twice. Um, and he... And he says to Elijah, I want to listen. I want to hear what's on your heart. I want to hear what's going on. And it's such grace that the God of the universe who does all this windstorm and fire and earthquake comes quietly to Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? Have you heard God's word lately? Have you heard his voice speak quietly to you? Are you listening to his quiet breath? If I know one thing, I know God longs to speak to you, but you need to be still. I need to be still. Are you wanting to hear him? Are you making time for that to happen? And lastly, we're nearly on the home stretch. We are on the home stretch. Uh, Elijah is given a mission. God doesn't go, well, that guy's broken. I'll just put him aside and get a new one in. He says to Elijah, right, buddy, you've had rest. We've had a chat. You've had your vent. Let's go. We've got a mission. And God says, I've got three things for you to do. I want you to go and anoint Hazel to rule Syria. Now, he's not a great guy, and he's going to come in and give Israel a whack. Uh, I want you to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel, and I want you to go find a guy called Elisha. And in all of this, God is saying to Elijah, I know what I'm doing. Okay, You thought that that was plan A, but it wasn't. I've got another plan. I've got something bigger and better. And through Hazel... He will give Israel a bit of a whack and a punishment for their Baal worshipping. And through Jehu, the new king, he will get rid of all the worshipping of Baal. And in Elisha, God will give Elijah someone to encourage him and to eventually replace him. And so in all of this, God is really lovingly saying to Elijah, mate, don't be an idiot. I've got this under control. I'm okay. I'll get this done. And... um, he, he picks up Elijah and he takes him and he uses him. So what do we get from all of this? Are you listening for God's still small voice? Are you spending time with him? This week, do you need to set aside some time to listen to his quiet breath as he speaks and ministers to you? Or are you at the point where maybe you need to take a rest? Maybe it's from ministry. Maybe there's things in your life, family members or whatever, that you can't take a rest from. But God is calling you to come to him and to find rest in him. Are you trusting in God? Are you working everything out on your own and thinking this is how it should all play out? Or are you trusting God that he is greater than your circumstances? And even when everything falls apart and doesn't go the way that it should, Are you still trusting in God that he is in control and he is powerful and great enough to work it out? 
And I am confident, and Elijah was confident at the end of this, that God is working everything out in his own way and his own time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the story of Elijah. And we thank you for the way that you came alongside him with such grace, such patience and mercy, and that you spoke to him and you listened to him. And Lord, I pray for us that this week we would take time to sit with you and to listen to you. But we thank you, Lord, that you listen to us as well and the things that are on our heart. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that you would challenge us to trust you. And I pray that in that we would get to know your character so that we can have full trust in you. Lord, we, we just acknowledge that we struggle with belief sometimes. We struggle with trust. And we ask that you would help us to trust in you. So, Lord, as, as we listen to the story of Elijah and we think about all these things, I pray that your spirit would be speaking to us, ministering to us, challenging us, and showing us more of you. In your name, amen.